Good morning. Welcome to everybody who is joining us on site and those joining us online here today. Uh, I want to start by asking you a bit of a question. I, I wonder, and I think I already know the answer to this one, but I wonder, have you ever caught yourself saying a phrase or doing something and immediately afterwards it reminds you of another person in your life? You ever caught yourself doing that? Like, I, I've noticed, I, I see this in other people all the time. Like, for example, lately I've seen a lot of young people are using this catchphrase as, as something exciting happens and they're like, let's go! And I'm thinking I'm getting a little bit older because the first thing I think of is, well, where are we going? And it's cold out, I need a coat. And so, uh, but, so there's these catchphrases that people sort of use and it takes on a life of its own within, within the world. Or perhaps you had uh, parents who, who loved you very much, but they had these little phrases, these little actions. You're like, I will never do that. And then one day you find yourself saying, don't make me come in there. And you're like... I am my mom. <laughs> Never knew I would be. I have a tendency to pick these things up myself. I have to be careful of this. I remember one time I was on a, a course in Atlanta for two weeks. And the first week I was there, and then there was a break during the weekend and another week of courses afterwards. And so during that weekend, Nadine flew down, and she came to spend the weekend with me in Atlanta. It was, it was a great, great weekend we had there. Uh, but when she came into the hotel, I had been immersed into Atlanta for a week. And as she walked into the hotel, I said, how you doing? And I had this southern drawl that I had picked up. And she just stopped, and she looked at me, and she's like, don't. <laughs> just, that's, all, that's just all that she, she said to me. I, I, so I have to be careful of this. You know, I think that you've probably heard the saying as well, that imitation is the seerest form of flattery. And so I like to think that maybe people pick up things from me. You know, for example, the staff know me for a few things. For example, my hilarious dad jokes are one of the things that the staff love about staff meetings and being with me at times. And they, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's rubbing off. Like, for example, Andrew and I were out earlier this week, and on the way back to the office, he's like, can we just stop by the store? I just want to pick up a few things for home before we end the day. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And so as he picked up a couple of little groceries for home, we were standing in line, and the cashier was running them through the checkout, and she got to the milk, and she said, would you like, would you like your milk in a bag? And, and Andrew said, no, you can just leave it in the carton. And, and, I, and I, was, I was so proud, right, <laughs> just to think that, that maybe, just maybe, I had a hand in shaping his dadness that was, that was forming within him. You know, but it's in these moments we realize that the characters of others, whether consciously or by another means, that these characteristics are, are woven into our lives. And you know, the same is possible in our relationship with Jesus Christ, where if we invest in our relationship with him over time, we begin to see that that can shape every aspect of our being. It, it can shape the way that we think. It can shape the way that we talk. It can shape the way that we act. And then when that happens, people around us begin to actually see Jesus in you. And when they begin to see Jesus in you, an amazing thing happens. It actually opens the door for them to experience new life with Jesus as well. And that's what our third value is about. Our third core value, these, these values, these principles that guide our actions and reveal our priorities as a church. Our third value that we refer to as encountering Jesus. And we say it this way, that we strive to weave Jesus into our story so that others will see him through us. Thereby not striving to become sort of copies of little copies of other people, but striving to become little Christ, if you will. Did you know that's actually kind of what the word Christian means? Is these, this idea of these little Christ. 
And if you try to search the Bible for the word Christian, you actually will find it a couple of times. But here's what you'll find if you search for it. You'll find that the word Christian in the Bible is only used actually by non-believers in a rather dismissive derogatory term that they would attach to people who were continuing the work of Jesus. And so when they would see one of these people in the streets, or if they, would, if they were a priest and they would see them in the temple, or if a ruler would see one of these people in their palace, if they came into contact with them, they would see the character and the life and the power of Jesus woven into their lives, and they would think they're just like little Christ. It's kind of how that word Christian would tend to be used. And so that's one of the objectives of being somebody who gives an opportunity for others to encounter Jesus, is to be little Christ. You know, and we see uh, an amazing example of this found in Acts chapter 3. It's, it's actually one of my favorite stories that we find in the book of Acts. And if you want to follow along, I encourage you to turn to that. Acts chapter 3, uh, if you want to use a pew Bible in front of you, it's found on page 884. Or you can also use the pew portal where the sermon night notes are and all the scripture is in there. And as you find that, let me give you a bit of background to what's happening here. You see, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we're given a brief description of the early church where we learn that they met together and they learned about God together. They, they prayed together and they served in the name of God together. And by doing that, this small group who had initially gathered in the upper room swelled to 3,000 people in Jerusalem, 3,000 little Christs in Jerusalem. And they're all doing life together. And we read that there were many wonderful miracles and wondrous signs taking place as they gathered together and saw daily growth taking place. Something else that we're told in Acts chapter 2 is that they would make these regular, sometimes daily trips to the temple for the purpose of worship and for prayer. And when this story begins, we see that that's what's actually taking place. When Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray one day, and we're told that they come to this gate called Beautiful, where beggars would often come and sit, or if they were not able to walk, people would bring them and sit them at this gate called Beautiful, and they would just ask and beg and plead for money from all who pass by. And on one particular day, Peter and John are walking by, and a man who was crippled from birth calls out to them, and he asks them for some money, and he catches their attention, and they stop, and when they stop, we read this in verse 6. We read this, Peter says to him, silver and gold I, I do not have. I, I can't give you any money. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and his ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all of the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the very same man who was sitting begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with this wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. As you can imagine, healing this man would cause an incredible stir, just a commotion throughout the temple courts. And, and as people come running in say, you know, what's happened and, and who's behind this miraculous event? And, and it's so interesting that you know, quite often it's our actions as followers of Christ. It's, it's our actions and how we live that becomes the catalyst for what comes next. Quite often it's how we act and interact with the world around us that becomes the catalyst that opens the door for the message of Jesus Christ. And you see, as these crowds come and gather around Peter and John, they actually are the ones who become the beggars. 
because they're pleading for answers. They're pleading to understand what is going on. How is this possible? Who possibly could have done this? And in response, Peter shares with them the good news of Jesus Christ. He says to them in the verses that follow, he says, Why do you look at us? Why do you look at us as though by somehow our power or our godliness made this man walk? Don't look at us. Remember Jesus? Remember Jesus who was crucified just a few weeks ago? God has resurrected him and has glorified him. And we and hundreds of other people, we have seen him for our very selves. And it is by faith in this name, it is by faith in the name of Jesus that this man has been healed. Now Peter in this moment, his ability to influence people is through the roof. He has just healed this man and he is now speaking with power and boldness. And in what he does notice is he completely deflects all credit, all glory for himself towards where it properly belongs. And not only have the crowds now seen the power of Jesus, but their answers have been given to them and they have now heard about the power of Jesus. And so Peter calls them to follow. In verse 19, he says this to them right afterwards. He says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, whose name is Jesus. After he heals this man and they come wondering by what power, by what name, how does this possibly take place? He calls them to repent, surrender their lives to Christ. He calls them to, to repent, to, to turn from a path of sin towards a path of God. Not out of sorrow, not out of remorse that their path isn't working out. That's, that's sometimes the catalyst that leads to this. But, but to actually reorientate their lives because they begin to believe. They begin to believe that living in accordance with God's plan for their life is more fulfilling for them. And it comes with a promise. Notice that not only does he call them to repent, he calls them to repent with a promise attached to it. And the promise he gives them is this, is that there is refreshment for their spirits that have gone dry. There is refreshment for those whose relationships are impoverished. He promised them that those whose lives feel empty, those who have lives, they feel like there's just something missing. Something that leads them to to ask a question, is this all there is to life? To, To those people, he says, turn, confess your sins. Walk in the way of God. And, and, and when nothing of this world seems to satisfy, when the promises of this world do not live up and they fail to deliver on what they promised, you can turn. You can turn and you can experience refreshment from the Lord like water being poured out onto a parched land that just soaks it up because it's so desperately in need of that very thing. So this call to Jesus is something that is not just needed in that day. It's still something that, our, that people in our world need to hear today. It is still a relevant message for our people today. It is a message that touched so many hearts and lives in that particular day and can touch lives in our day still. And we read that back in this time when Peter and John proclaimed this message to people, it made a difference to the point where many who heard believed and the number swelled to 5,000 after this event. But not everyone was excited, so excited. Not everyone was was so receptive as the crowds were to this particular encounter of the name and the power of Jesus. You see, as we jump into chapter 4, something happens where, where we find that in the midst of Peter's speech, right in the middle of his speech, 
the temple guards come and arrest them. And they put them in jail for the night. Now, now the reason that they're so concerned about what Peter's talking about is not the commotion necessarily in and of itself. You see, Peter and John were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, and that was a bit of a sensitive topic. You see, this is in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion and the disappearance of his body. That is still a fresh problem for these people. And not only do these religious leaders just, just absolutely outright deny that there is a resurrection and there is a personal Messiah, not only do they outright reject that, but they have been completely unsuccessful in suppressing stories of Jesus as that resurrected Messiah. And so, they're arrested to make them stay quiet. They're put in prison. And then the next morning, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, which is like the supreme court of the day. And we read this in verse 4 through 6. Oh, sorry, in verse 6. At this time, Anasa the high priest was there, and so also was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Now, notice, these are the same guys who had participated in the trial of Jesus just weeks before. These are the same guys who thought they were completely rid of him. We have dealt with that problem. It is over. But here are these two Christians, these, these two little Christs. They're still proclaiming the name of Jesus, and they're demonstrating the power of that name. And so they begin to question them in verse 7. So they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power and by what name do you do this? See, the religious leaders believe that they were the ones who had the power. They were the ones who believed that they had the authority on spiritual matters. We're the educated ones. We're the ones appointed to this position. We're the ones with authority and status over such matters. Peter and John, you guys are fishermen. You worry about fish. When I need a flounder, I'll come ask you. You're ordinary guys. You have no status. You have no privilege in such matters. You, you are elementary educated at the best. So surely there's more going on here because there's no way that these fishermen could possibly make this possible. There is something or someone greater behind them. And then verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly responds to their question. And he says this. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man now stands healed. Jesus is the cornerstone the builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which mankind may be saved. When Peter finished, at this point, he had shown them, but now he had told them by whose name this was done. And then something really amazing happens, an incredible verse. In verse 13, we see this profound statement, which I think is an incredible encouragement of what it looks like of when people encounter Jesus through his followers. Verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized these are ordinary, unschooled men. They were absolutely astonished. And then here it is. And then they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. All of a sudden, 
all of these questions, these how is this possible, by what name, by what power, how could these guys, how could these ordinary people possibly accomplish this? Oh, yeah, they're with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find that to be an inspirational statement, a statement that motivates me to consider how, how could that look like in my life? They took note that these ordinary men had so woven Jesus into their stories that others were experiencing him through them. You know, the truth of the matter is we're all ordinary people. Now, I know that we all have some successes and occupations and maybe at school or, or at work or in our homes. We have successes in those places. But, uh, but what I mean by being ordinary people is that when we consider to have the power to bring healing to another person's life, when we consider that, that our words have the opportunity to bring transformation, that through us speaking words, that people can surrender their lives to God, that is beyond us. Those are the things of God working through the people of God. Amen? That is beyond us. We are just ordinary people when it comes to those sorts of things. These religious leaders who were questioning, these Pharisees who were questioning Peter and John, they were looking at them going, there must be another power behind it all. And there was, and the power was Jesus Christ. That's what they were seeing. That is the power behind it all. And we see this in the world around us today. If you stop and think about people maybe in your life or experiences you've had where, where you just think, that, that was bigger than me. That, that was beyond my ability to do. I, I remember a time I went to a pastor's conference, and I got to the airport, and I shared a cab with another guy who was going to the conference. And, and we got in the back of this cab, driving from the airport to the hotel, and, and this guy I was with, he converted the cabbie on the way to the hotel. Like, I don't have that gift, and I, I don't know this guy that well, but that's bigger than him, and that's bigger than me. The Holy Spirit gave him the gift and the words that in a 15-minute cab ride, as this man asked, well, who are you, and why are you here, and what are you going to, and what's that conference about? He took those opportunities to jump into a gospel message, and he prayed for this cabbie to, to accept Christ at the hotel. That's the things of God. I've heard stories of young adult groups going down to serve hot chocolate in the inner city to people who are lined up outside of the mustard seed waiting to come in to get a meal. Serving coffee, hot chocolate to people outside waiting to get in. And when they talk to these people, they say, we're so thankful you're here. Not, not just for the coffee and the hot chocolate. They say, we're so thankful you're here because on the nights you come service, it just seems safer down here. When you guys come down here in service, it, it just seems like people are in a better mood. Like there's, like there's not as much danger, and, and people are more receptive, and they talk more. And there's, there's a different feel in this whole area when you guys come down here and serve. That's bigger than them and a cup of hot chocolate. We, we've heard stories of, I know people personally who have had challenges, health issues, and we have laid hands on them. We have anointed them with oil, and their bodies have been healed that is the things of God. That is not something we ordinary people can do. But here's the thing. All of us are ordinary people. But when you weave Jesus into your life, suddenly your potential becomes limitless for what is possible. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about this a bit. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay that show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. 
See, what this verse is talking about is back in the time that, that, that Paul had written these words, people would take these uh, jars of clay, these earthen vessels, ordinary, plain, very low value, unsuspecting jars of clay, and they would conceal treasures and valuables in them. This would be the same thing as you putting the key to your house in a flower pot by the front door or, or hiding money in like a hollowed out book. I don't know if that even exists. We see it in movies, but you know what I mean? Like putting money into a hollowed out book. You know, you, you would think that you would never find something in a book. You, you would never think to dig through the flowers to find something precious. You, you would expect something of that value to be in a vault under lock and key. Not something so easily broken. Not something so fragile. Not something so unassuming like a jar of clay. You see, this verse not only speaks to the frailty of our humanity, it also reminds us of the precious treasure of the good news that has been put into our humanity. It reminds us of the precious treasure of Jesus Christ, of our experience with him, of his presence in our lives that forms a story in our jars of clay. The good news that we can reveal with those around us, that incredible treasure. See, the Sanhedrin, they looked at Peter and John, and they're like, these guys are earthen vessels. These guys are, these guys are jars of clay. They did not expect much from them at all. But they saw and they heard these ordinary schooled men but when they saw and heard these ordinary schooled men, what they experienced was the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. Because they spoke with boldness of Jesus. They performed the miracles of Jesus. They knew the scriptures like Jesus. Because they had woven Jesus into their lives so that it changed them to the point where others experienced him through them. Now in our own lives, if we want to increasingly become these, these little Christs, so that when people see us, they see him. There, there's a few things that we can do. There's a few simple things that we know Peter and John did that allowed this to take place in their lives that is so easy for us to do as well. If, if we'll choose to do it. If we'll choose to take these steps to, to weave Jesus into our story. And the first one is this. The first one is we know Peter and John were devoted to learning about Jesus from the word of God. We know they were. We know that they regularly studied the scriptures. We know that they open the word, that they were committed to the teaching, the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, we have these on our shelves. We have these in our homes. We have these in our pews. You have thousands of versions of these on your phones. We live in a world where there is so much access, so much freedom. Let us never be thankful for the freedom and the access that we have to the word of God. There is so much freedom and access we have to the word of God. And contained in this book, there is so much power and opportunity for our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. It is useful. This is useful. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the follower of Christ, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. This is useful. We at West Meadows here encourage all people to consider what is their space and their place where they can get into the Word of God. I haven't talked about this for a little while, so maybe if you're newer around us, you haven't heard this phrase before, to have their space and their place. What do you mean by that? We mean we encourage all people here at West Meadows to have that physical space, whether it be a, a chair or a, your car, a, a table, a sun deck, your office, that, that physical space where when you look at it, you remind yourself, that's where I Spend time with God. Not the only place, but that is the place that I regularly go to. Because I have this physical space 
that I spend time with God, but I also have made space in my calendar so that on a regular basis, I go to that place and I spend time with God. Maybe your space is physically in your car as you're driving to work. Not reading, listening, right? That's the audio version of that Bible. We don't read and drive. Because all I'm getting, he'll be like, Mark, pay my ticket, right? We have these other places. Maybe your place is, is in the den in the evening when everyone's gone to bed. Maybe your place, sorry, your space, maybe your space is, is in the kitchen table early in the morning as the sun comes up. Whatever that space is, that physical space and that space in your calendar where you intentionally, regularly come to spend time with God, you suddenly come to realize as you do this over a period of time, it builds a pattern in your life of getting into the Word. But in addition to that, you begin to discover your place in God's story. Because the Word of God is the story of God. It is His story, His revelation of Himself, and His work, His presence, and His plan for humanity, which includes all of us. And as we have this regular space, and we read and learn more about God, we begin to find our place in His story, and it becomes woven into our story. Because we grow in awareness of Him. We grow in awareness of his love for us. We grow in awareness of his plan for us. And as this happens, and you begin to learn more about him, you begin to learn more about scripture, it changes the way you think, and it changes the way you talk, and it changes the way that you live in the world around you. Until all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation in your own life or you find yourself in a situation with a friend, somebody who needs comfort, somebody who needs guidance, and you want to step in there and you want to be present for them. And suddenly there's this amazing thing that happens in the word of God that you've been studying pops in your head and you have the word. You have the encouragement. You have the ability and the confidence to share that with them. But to get that in there, we've got to read. To get that in there, we've got to come to church and be taught. To get that in there, we have to go to small group and do studies. These are all different options on how we can open our Bibles and learn more about him and give the Holy Spirit something to use to reveal God to us that we can weave him into our stories. We know for a fact that Peter and John were devoted to the word. In addition to being devoted to the word, do you remember what I said earlier about what they were doing on the day that this whole event happened? They were on their way to the temple to pray. And that's the second thing that we can do. We want to be learning about him by being in the word, but also we want to be praying to him. You see, when you pray, you can begin to see the power of Jesus in your life. And we begin to see the power which helps us to know him better and allows us also to grow in our trust of him. And there's no limits as to when and how and why we pray. You know, Philippians 4 tells us in every situation... By prayer and by petition, by, by prayer, by giving thanksgiving, by bringing our requests, by bringing our pleas, with prayer and thanksgiving, with petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now I know that there are some here who might feel odd praying. There, there are some people who are just prayer warriors, and that's, that's awesome. Keep pressing into that. But I know there's also people who, who really struggle with this concept of praying. This, this idea of, it just feels odd. Like, I, I can't see God, and so who am I talking to? And, and, and maybe God feels too distant from you. Just kind of too, too aloof. And you're like, I, I, does he hear me? How does he hear me? It, just, it feels like the distance is too great. Or I know sometimes people say, I just don't feel like I have the words. 
I don't know what to pray. I don't, I don't know enough about God to, to talk to God, and I don't know what words God wants to hear, so I don't use any words. And what, what would I say? I know that there's people who challenge themselves, who are challenged with these sorts of questions and thoughts in their minds. I, I, I get it. I, I get it, but I just want to encourage you to just try. To just try, just, just stop what you're doing at some point. And, and just quiet yourself. And just share that moment. Whatever's happening in that moment around you, whatever's happening in your heart, whatever, whatever thoughts or fears or dreams or joys are on your mind, just put words to them. Just like you were talking to a friend. I want to encourage you to, to try that. And I want you to know this, that, that God is present. God, God is present. And, and you don't have to have fancy, eloquent words. You just have to have honest words. And I want to encourage you and promise you this as well, that if you seek him, you will find him in your prayers. And I can tell you from personal experience that over time, doing this over time, you begin to develop what's sometimes referred to as a life of prayer, where you have this ongoing conversation of just constant awareness, constant, you know, all the time and all things, you're just constantly aware of God's presence. There's like this ongoing conversation that takes place as you do this over a period of time. Because when we talk to God, something happens where we go from knowing about God to experiencing and trusting him personally. And that is one of the great ways that we can weave Jesus into our lives so that others begin to experience him through us, through the word and through prayer. But here's something I want you to know about, about those two steps. Is that you can do those all on your own, but actually never give another person a chance to encounter Jesus. Think about it, it's true. You, you, can, you can listen to your audio Bible on the way to work every day, and nobody will ever know. You can pray in isolation, and nobody will ever know, at least for a while. Because here's something that happens. When you are investing in God in those ways, through the word of God and through prayer with God, here, something happens. Something happens. As you apply this to your life, all of a sudden, you begin to develop a heart for other people. You begin to see people through the eyes, through the lenses of Jesus Christ. And what we discover as we read this gospel is, is that Jesus had this deep care and a deep concern for all people. And if we're truly seeking to be little Christ, to, to weave Jesus into our story, we really need to heed the words of John as he said this. He says, dear little ones, do not just love with words and speech, but with action and in truth. No, it's great to have these things built into ourselves, but eventually reach the point where we go out and we serve in his name. And most often, if people, if you want people to hear your words of truth, it's going to begin with them observing and experiencing your actions first. And as they experience your actions, they begin to understand who you are, begin to know you, and understand why they should listen to you. But quite often it will begin with our actions of service and being present and caring for other people. Notice, that's what happened for Peter and John. Before they shared the good news of Jesus with the crowds and with the Pharisees, before hundreds came to believe that day, they first acted in the name of Jesus. They first served and healed this man. And after they had served and healed him, then the door was open for them to share the good news of Jesus Christ. People were hungry for it. They were curious for it. Last week, we talked about how Jesus used the loving act of a sinful woman who didn't say a word, simply loved through action. And Jesus used her actions to then teach in word a Pharisee about love and forgiveness. 
In the first week of this series, we talked about how Jesus showed value and concern for a Samaritan woman at the well. And then that opened the door for him to share words by which she came to see him as the Messiah. You see, if we're truly going to be representative of Jesus in the world, if we're truly going to succeed in other people seeing Christ through us, we do need to invest in our own relationship with Jesus through regular time of word and prayer. But not just love and words, but we got to put that into practice and serve in the name of Jesus. And I believe that through these things, through, through learning about him, through praying to him, through serving him, West Meadows will continue to be a place where people have encounters with Jesus Christ. West Meadows will continue to be a place because, where that happens because we have woven Jesus into our stories, into our lives, so that others experience him through us. And so as I close today, I just want to ask you to consider. I want to ask you to consider a question about how you talk and act and how you interact with people, how you spend your spare time, how you, how you live in the world around you. And as you think about that, I ask you the question coming from Acts 4.13. Would people question by what power and by what name you live? Would they look at you and say, that guy, that makes sense. They were with Jesus. Would they see him in you? Now, i got to tell you, I don't ask this from a point of judgment. I ask this because in my own reflection, I can look back upon this last week and there are some stuff where I would answer no. People did not see Jesus in me in certain situations. There are moments that if I could do them over again, I would do them so different. But that's not a, a position of judgment. It's a position of opportunity. Because if you can look back on your week like I can and say, yeah, no, there are times when people did not see Jesus in me. If that's the truth, then that means that there's opportunity for growth. There's opportunity for us to consider, how can we learn more about him? Where can I invest more into the right space and place? Maybe if you struggle to know how to read the Bible, where to start. You know, Pastor Andrew has a class on Wednesday evenings about learning how to read the Bible. If you're on the Pew Portal Sermon Notes, we always have a Bible reading plan on there that you can subscribe to right off of there. Or just come and talk to us and we'll give you some guidance on how to start, on how you can do more of that. Maybe you're, you're looking back going, you know, I, I need to go deeper in my prayer life. And if that's the case, I encourage you just to start off very simply. Just to find that moment and to share your thoughts and your, your feelings and your situation with God in just ordinary words. If, if that's a struggle for you, one, one encouragement I give to people sometimes who are very new to this is every night before you go to sleep, lay there and try to consider three good things that happened that day. Take those three things. And turn them into a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Just start there. It'll give you something to be thankful for. It'll give you something to pray for. And it'll focus your heart upon God. And people tell me it helps them sleep too. Not bad. And then the third thing, how can we serve more? You know, there are opportunities to volunteer. We have our volunteer fair happening in the foyer. Still after service, I encourage you to pop by there. But, but even beyond that, out in the world, you know people who need help and support and encouragement. And there are people you'll encounter this week who need that as well that you're not even aware of yet. And so I can just encourage you to simply say and to commit, this week I'm going to be available. And, and just say to yourself, this week I'm going to say yes to opportunities to serve others. And you'll just be amazed at what God can do through that. And perhaps the first step for you is that you have never actually surrendered your life to Christ. And so this is all something that is foreign to you because you haven't taken that first step. And if that's where you find yourself today, I want to encourage you as well encourage you to have an encounter with Jesus for the very first time and invite you to respond to the words of Peter as he said, repent. Confess your sins. Seek God's forgiveness for them. 
Turn from walking your own way to the turning to walking according to God's ways. So that your sins may be forgiven. So that your sins may be wiped out. That your hearts may become clean. That your, that your thirsty souls may find the refreshing that comes from the Lord. Because Jesus loves you. And he paid the price for your sins. These sins that separate us from having a life with God. He paid the price that we could have that relationship. And he fills the void that existed in our lives. All that remains is for us to hear, to believe, and to receive. And to then begin to trust and live for him. And if this is the very first step you need to take, I encourage you to do it so today. Come talk to me at the end of the service here. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you more. And in this first step, you can come and know Jesus and begin to weave him into your story.